Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Well, good morning. I'm not anti-technology. I'm just old and can't handle it. So... (laughs) Actually, what it is, is uh, for those of you that have never experienced how God uses me in preaching, people always come up and say, I'm looking forward to hearing you preach. And I always say the same thing, me too. I know where we're going. I just don't know how we're going to get there. And whenever I have slides, I'm more worried about what's my next slide instead of being able to just go where God wants me to go. And uh, as Troy was saying, uh, we got a Bible study coming up. And this, this message today actually is a commercial. It's a commercial for the Revelation Bible study that I'm going to be starting to teach here uh, September 9th. To give you a little background how this has all even come about, as he shared, I have been actually teaching a Bible study on the beach side now for almost 10 years, probably even more. I've lost track. And we've been going through books of the Bible just verse by verse. And wherever we leave off, that's where we pick up. And I actually taught the book of Revelation in 32 hours, 32 different weeks, back in 2009. But the Bible study, we've been studying so many other books of the Bible, it's been growing and growing and growing. It started in, in, a, in a lady's condo over on the beach side in Indian Atlantic. We all overgrew the condo, and we moved to the rec center of that condo and overfilled it. And then Calvary Chapel Surfside was wonderful enough to let us use their facility, their sanctuary, for, uh, free of charge, and we outgrew that. And then we moved to First Baptist Indian Atlantic. And they used their fellowship halls, uh, fellowship hall on, on Tuesday nights and for the Bible study. And that's packed out. But when we were thinking about going, leaving Calvary Chapel, trying to figure out where we're going to go next because we've had so many, Troy offered, well, why don't you just move it out to Palm Bay? You can use our sanctuary. And so we started praying about it. And we we're getting kind of excited. But as we did, we started to realize that we had actually, by moving it all the way out here, so many of the older folks that come out on the beach side wouldn't be able to make it. And we just prayerfully felt like God wanted us to keep it on the beach side. But a problem occurred. Word started to spread that a Bible study was coming to Palm Bay. (laughs) And then we said it wasn't. And then people said, "Mm." and we started to pray about it. We felt like God said, you don't have to get bigger and bigger venues, add nights. And so I will actually start teaching that we've just finished the book of Colossians. We've taken the month of August off because of my travel schedule. I actually was in uh, Panama, the country of Panama last week. And next week I'll be in New Hampshire. But because of my travel schedule, we took the month of August off, and we'll start in September. September 8th will be Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at First Baptist in the Atlantic, and we're going to be teaching the book of Revelation beginning as well, and we'll be beginning it here on September 9th on Wednesdays. For the most part, because I can't tell you they'll be exactly the same, what I teach on Tuesday is what I'll teach on Wednesday. So if for some reason you can't make a night or whatever, but they're also recorded as well. So those things are available. But at the same time, um, I got a problem this morning. I love prophecy, and I have been preaching for over 30 years, and I have been studying prophecy intensely for over 20 years of those 30 years, and I got a lot to say, and I can't get it all in. So I'm going to say you this. This is a commercial. 
please come to the book of Revelation study. Because we're going to do it different this year. As I prayed about it, I said, Lord, you had me teach Revelation, 32 hours on Revelation in 2009. Why would you have me teach it again? And he showed me that this time I'm not going to teach the whole book of Revelation. We're actually going to skip chapters 2 and 3, the messages to the churches. If you're curious about that, you can just go to my website, justapreacherministries.org, and you can go to the Bible studies and click on there, and you can get whatever you want from the messages to the churches. But I think God showed me what he wants me to do in this study of Revelation is actually teach the book of Revelation just using a portion of chapter 1 to lay the foundation of what John was to write, and then jump to chapter 4 where he's told, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. And we're going to study the book of Revelation from chapter 4 through 22. But listen, we're not going to do chapter 4, then chapter 5, then chapter 6, and so on. We're actually going to study the book of Revelation chronologically. In other words, I've taken the time to break down with a friend of mine named Tony Kessinger, who's written some wonderful books on the book of Revelation. We've taken the time to break down the book of Revelation into chronological order. That means we're going to jump all around. Because for those of you who have ever read the book of Revelation, it's not written in chronological order, is it? And it gets a little confusing at times as you just read it in order because it jumps all over the place. We're actually going to teach the book of Revelation in chronological order. And I'm going to show you what's going to happen in the order that it's going to happen according to the scriptures. And I'm also going to show you, and you'll see this a little bit this morning, that actually the book of Revelation is not a book that was written at the end to make the Christians feel better and say we win, as some people say. But actually the book of Revelation, all it does is compile the prophecies of the Old Testament and the New and put them all together. It was the last book that was written. And it's actually over three quarters of the book of Revelation had already been written in the rest of the Bible. All Revelation does is compile it and give us an order and a sequence. And so I'm pretty excited about that. But in order to go where we need to go today, in order for this commercial to be accomplishing its purpose, because, you know, commercials are to show you something we really want you to have and show you why you need it. In order for this commercial to accomplish its purpose, I prayed and said, Lord, how do I, how do I tell people about what's to come and get them excited about this Revelation study, yet at the same time bring a message for the people that are here this morning who might not be able to go to the study? Lord, what is it you want me to preach on? And as I prayed about it, he took me to Matthew 24. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read actually verses 1 through 31 to you this morning. And then we're going to take some time to take a look at what's going on here. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant for those and for those who are nursing and infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say... Um, Look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You got it? Let's pray so that we can begin to have God give us insight. Father, as we open your word today, as we've already just even just got a glimpse in your answer to the disciples' questions, there's a lot that's still to come. Yet at the same time, over the years, over these 2,000 years of the church age, there's been debate and contention, unfortunately, about your return and the timing of events. Father, we want to be lined up with your truth. We want to be lined up with your word. We don't want to spend our time attacking brothers who might see things differently. We want to humble ourselves before you, not only this morning, but in this Revelation study to say, show us your word. Show us what you've put here, available by the power of your spirit from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Open our eyes to what you would have us see. And Father, give us the grace to say we don't know when you haven't spoken. But for this morning, Lord, I trust that you will take us where you want us to go and pull from this passage the things you want us to see. And Lord, excite us about the things you will show us, but maybe not today, but in the weeks to come. And so, Lord, thank you for the fact that you're going to do this, because this is way bigger than I'm capable of doing. But I thank you for the fact that you've called me to this. You've gifted me in this area and you've set apart this time. And I am resting in you to fulfill your purposes. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Like I said, when I began to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me preach on as a commercial for the Revelation study, yet at the same time of value for the people that are here this morning? And he took me to Matthew 24. Of course, I began to just kind of read over it and meditate. And I've read Matthew 24 and broken it down and studied it for years. But I always believe, just like you said this morning, Lord, what, what, what do you want to show me that's fresh? I've read John 4, 24. You know, what's fresh? And to be honest with you. In the very first verses, he showed me something I'd never thought about before. Look again at Matthew 24 and and look at verse 1. I'm sorry, uh, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And all of a sudden it hit me and I'd never thought about this before. Why in the world were the disciples asking about his coming when he was already there? For those of you that know anything about the scriptures and know about the disciples, did they understand about his death, burial, resurrection? 
They didn't have a clue. Did they understand about the fact that he was going to go to the Father, there was going to be a church age, and then he was going to come back? No, actually, let me show you. For those of you that aren't sure what we're talking about, let me show you how clueless they were as to what was going to happen next. Go with me, put a bookmark here in Matthew 24, and go to Mark chapter 8, and look at verse 31. You're going to see something here, and it's going to be shocking to you, but it's going to get comical even after a while. In Mark chapter 8, look at verse 31. And it says, And he, meaning Jesus, began to teach them, this is his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Oh, and by the way, if you keep reading, immediately after saying that he was going to be killed and three days later rise again, Peter says, you're wrong. Go to Mark chapter 9, look at verse 32. Actually, verse 30. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there, passed through, the, through Galilee, and he, didn't, he, meaning Jesus, didn't want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Says it again, doesn't he? Look at the reaction in verse 30, uh, 32. But they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. First time he tells them about what's going to happen next, Peter says, you're wrong. Second time he tells them they don't understand, but they're afraid to ask. Go to chapter 10. Look at verse 32 through 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now he even goes into more detail, tells them the same thing, but he gives them more detail. Look at the reaction. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Hey, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said, What do you want? Well, who's going to sit on your right and who's going to sit on your left? Now, by the way, for those of you that are out here that are preachers, this has been very, very helpful for me over the years. Those of you that have been preachers and teachers and those of you that have worked with people trying to teach them truth, have you ever had God use you to teach someone truth and they said, You're wrong? Have you ever... Taught them truth, but they didn't understand, but they don't dare talk to you about it, but they're just going to keep it to themselves. Have you ever poured your heart out in ministry, Troy, to the point that Jesus says, they're going to spit on me, they're going to flog me, they're going to kill me, they're going to mock me. And the immediate reaction is, yeah, yeah, but what's in it for us? Let me ask you, after looking at Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, did the disciples have any clue what was going to happen next with Jesus? They had no clue. Go to John chapter 20. Let me show you. Even after he's died, even after he's risen from the dead, look at what happens on that same Sunday. John chapter 20. Look at verses 1 through 10. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
And stopping to, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there and he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Even after the resurrection, they still had no clue. By the way, when it comes to end times, anybody out there feel like you got it all figured out? Me neither. But if you stick with me, you'll see that there's some value in what we're going to look at today, and especially in our study of the book of Revelation. But I'm going to show you that their cluelessness continues. Because what we're doing is we're setting up why in the world would they ask him about his coming when they didn't understand that he was leaving? But actually, in Acts chapter 1, go to Acts chapter 1. Even after the death of Jesus, even after the resurrection, even after him being on the earth for 40 days, teaching them privately, in Acts chapter 1, right before he ascends back to the Father, which they still didn't know was going to happen, even though he told them. By the way, some of you might say, Jim, didn't he tell his disciples in the upper room, I'm going away, I'm going to the Father, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans? Yes, he did say all that. But guess what? It was on Thursday of that last week before he was crucified. When the question they asked him here in Matthew 24, this happens on Tuesday. You say, well, how do you know it happened on Tuesday? Well, if you were to take the time and keep reading, when you get to Matthew chapter 26, it says, when he finished teaching them about all the end time stuff, it was still two days before the Passover. So that in the upper room, when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to the Father, and uh, I'm going to come back, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I'm going to send the Spirit. All that stuff happened after they'd already asked him about his second coming. Yet they didn't know he was leaving. And even after he'd already talked to him about all that kind of stuff, in Acts chapter 1, look at what they say in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they're standing on the Mount of Olives, and the prophecy in Zechariah said that he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, he's going to split in two, a river's going to flow, the kingdom's going to begin, and they're all like, is it now? Is it now? What does Jesus say? He said in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and in the end of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have saw him go into heaven. So the disciples still, even at this point, even after Jesus is teaching them for 40 days, still didn't understand about his going away and coming back. Then why, why, why do the disciples ask him in Matthew 24 about his coming when he was sitting there? Any ideas? Chickens. The answer is actually where you'd almost always find it in Scripture when you have a question. In the context. Go back to Matthew 24 and back up to the very end of chapter 23, verses 37 through 39 in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Right before they ask this question, look at what Jesus has just said. 
He's been, by the way, if you were to take the time and look at the previous chapters, he's been just letting the Pharisees have it. He's been teaching in the temple that week. He's been teaching to the Jews and the religious leaders. And he's pretty much just said, you guys are blind leaders of the blind. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. And then he makes this statement in John chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, some of you would say, well, that's when he has the triumphal entry. No, Jesus said this already after the triumphal entry. See, this is Tuesday. The triumphal entry happened already on Monday when they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they rejected him. When Jesus says, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is after the triumphal entry, and he's talking about a future time. Oh, and what does he also say? He says, your house, the temple, is left to you desolate. And if you were to take the time, like I said, my problem is I got so much in my head right now that I want to share with you. There's so much here. What's really kind of cool about this is Jesus leaves the temple and goes to the Mount of Olives. And if you were to know the book of Ezekiel... You'll know that around Ezekiel chapter 11, Ezekiel prophesied that the Spirit of God was going to leave the temple and go to the Mount of Olives. He saw in prophecy the Spirit of God leave the temple and go to the Mount of Olives. Oh, there's a lot. You've got to come back to Revelation. But look at verse, chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So now what has happened is, the disciples have just seen Jesus say, your house is left to you desolate. You're not going to see me again until. And then he said, this temple is going to be destroyed. The disciples now on the Mount of Olives come to him privately and they say, when is this all going to happen? And what will be the sign that you're coming again? They didn't fully understand it, but he did say it's not going to be until. And I'm pretty sure in the minds of the disciples, they thought it was all going to happen all at the same time. In their mind, the destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus, uh, that was all going to happen together. But actually, as we've come to realize, Jesus referenced the destruction of the temple. Does anybody know when that actually happened? AD 70 is when that happened. Actually, when they ask, when will these things be? They're talking about the destruction of the temple and the sign of your coming in the end of the age. They don't realize they're asking about two different time periods. And there's been great debate over a lot of stuff where some people think everything in Matthew 24 has already happened in AD, by AD 70, and that's not even possible. We'll show you later on in the study of Revelation. But for this morning, interestingly enough, if you were to take the time and read the rest of Matthew 24, you'll see Jesus never references or answers their question about when will these things be, meaning the destruction of the temple. He doesn't talk about the destruction of the temple in his answer in Matthew 24. All he does is tell them what the signs will be right before he returns. By the way, we won't take the time to turn there because there's so much more I want get to get to you. But if you were to write down Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 43, you'll see that Jesus has already taught his disciples that the end of the age is when Jesus comes back and God separates the righteous from the wicked. And the wicked are all gathered to be burned and the righteous are left on the earth. Let me just say something to you real quick, just as a little commercial, a little help for some of you. Some people have tried to make Matthew 24 later on after the section we've already read where it talks about two will be working in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two will be working at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. They've tried to make that the rapture. 
It's not. It's actually when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth. Because he says, as it was in the days of Noah. And then he says, one will be taken and one will be left. By the way, in the days of Noah, who was taken and who was left? Were the righteous taken and the wicked left in the days of Noah? Or were the wicked taken and the righteous left? That was an easy question. You just mumbled your answer that I couldn't hear you. Who was taken? Who was left? The wicked were taken. The righteous were left. If you were to go take a look at that passage I just told you to write down in Matthew 13, 36 through 43, you'll see that the angels are going to come and gather all the wicked and gather them off to be burned. And the righteous will stay on the earth. That passage in Matthew 24 says two will be taken, one will be left. As two will be working, one will be taken, one will be left. Actually, is not referring to the rapture, but is referring to the end when Jesus comes back in his second coming. And all the wicked will be removed from the earth. And the ones that are left on the earth will be the righteous who will populate the millennial kingdom. You see, as you're about to see, we got a problem. It's the same problem the disciples had. But we've got it a little bit better, and I'll show you that in just a second. But we have one of the main problems the disciples had. The disciples had a little bit of knowledge about the prophecies. But they didn't understand them fully. And so because of the fact that they had some prophecies, and they didn't understand them fully, they had actually built a theology in their mind of what was going to happen next. That's why they had a hard time understanding that Jesus came the first time to die, and that only. You see, the Bible actually says that there, if you were to take the study, you'll see that there are 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies about Jesus' first coming when he came to be born of Mary and live without sin and die on the cross and rise from the dead. There are over 300 Old Testament prophecies that point to that. Does anybody know how many prophecies there are about his second coming? Anybody want to take a guess? Well, I have 600. Do I have any more? This is an auction. I have 600. Do I hear seven? I have eight. Do I hear nine? I have nine. Do I hear a thousand? I have a thousand. By the way, we're not there yet. I have a thousand. The answer is 2,400. There are over 2,400 prophecies about his second coming in the Bible. Now you understand my problem. How God has wired my brain is I've got most of those in my head, and I want to show them all to you now, but I can't, because we will be here till three. <laughs> James Burke said it's okay, though, because his house lost its air conditioning this morning, so he said, stay in the air conditioning as long as you want. <laughs> Do you know anything about AC? See that man over there. But the disciples had a verse here and a verse there, and they had built their own theology about the things to come without a full knowledge of the scriptures. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that our problem as well? Most of us, at best, have just a few verses about the things to come that we know. But for the most of us, we really don't know what the scripture says. I've told people that, and, and, and you're going to hear this, and I'm going to lay it out for you ahead of time. I'm not going to spend my time bashing the other beliefs. When I, young, years ago, used to start preaching on prophecy, I would say, this is what the post-tribulationists believe. This is what the amillennialists believe. This is what, and then I've come to realize, I wouldn't spend my time teaching and preaching in a church and tell you what the Jehovah's Witness believe, or what the people that I didn't agree with believe. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. And folks, let me just tell you, when I teach the book of Revelation, I'm not going to take time sharing all the different views. Because one day I will stand before God 
Because the Bible says in James chapter 3 that those of us should not seek to be teachers because those of us who seek to be teachers, those of us who are going to be teachers, will be held in higher accountability. I take very seriously the fact that God has called me to say, thus says the Lord. And what I share with you has come from study and prayer and what I believe the Spirit is saying. And I will look you in the eye and show you that I believe without question the Bible teaches that the church will be removed before the tribulation, seven-year tribulation period is coming on the world. And I can lay it all out for you, which we will do in our Revelation study. But for this morning, what I want you to hear is this. We need to begin to take a look at what the Scripture says about His return. To just say, oh, He's coming, that's good enough for me. The Bible said over 300 times about His first coming, 2,400 times about His second coming. And it's important that we who are believers know what the Scripture says for ourselves and also to pass it on to those who will be left behind us. But I'll tell you now, we've got an advantage as well. Not only do we have a problem that the same disciples had, where we have just a few verses and we put it together in our own minds without the rest of the Scripture, we also have a benefit that they don't have. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Let me show you what I mean. Daniel chapter 12. Look at verses 1 through 4. Daniel's been given a bunch of prophecy about the last days, the return of Christ and the millennial kingdom and all these things. And it says that the chapter 12, verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. In other words, Daniel has been given this prophecy, and he says the words are to be shut up and sealed until the time of the end. You'll even see Daniel ask a couple of times, when's this going to happen and how's this going to be? And he's told, not for you to know. It's not for you to know. All I've asked you to do is to take this, write it down, and have it preserved for future generations. Didn't the Bible actually say in the book of Peter that the prophets who spoke of the things that were to come with Jesus searched intently to find out when these things would be? And they were told it wasn't for them, but for future generations. I'm going to show you a lot of the stuff that we've tried to apply to the church isn't for us. It's actually having to do with the nation of Israel and what's going to happen in the last days with the nation of Israel. A lot of the stuff we've tried to read into the church age, a lot of the prophecies about the return of Christ and the second coming, we've tried to fit the church into it. I'm going to show you the church is not mentioned in the book of Revelation, verses four, chapters 4 through 22, until the very, very end. We're not going to be here on the earth during that time, but it's important that we know why, so that we will know how to live in these days and be able to share it with those who will be left behind. Hopefully none of you here. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you how important the book of Revelation is to interpreting Scripture. Because there's a lot of things that really have been confusing to us over the years, but the book of Revelation actually makes it make sense. Let me show you from the Matthew 24, something Jesus said. Go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 14. He 
been asked about what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And he says, oh, here's what's going to happen. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. People are going to betray and hate each other. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Don't worry. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. By the way, have things been getting worse and worse and worse since Jesus said these things? And we've had world wars and there's going to be more. And it's just going to keep getting worse. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, no, it'll get better and better and better. And we're going to bring righteousness on the earth through the Christian faith. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. Bible teaches it's going to get worse and worse and worse to the end. Jesus even said so. But he said, that's just, don't think that means it's the end. That's just the beginning toward the end. And then he made this statement in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let me ask you a question. Show of hands. How many of you have heard the preachers say, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. How many of you ever heard that? Almost all of us, haven't we? As soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. I mean, we already saw it today, didn't we? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. We've pictured in our minds that the gospel started there in Jerusalem. And one day, through the disciples, it will pass on to the whole world. And once we get to that last tribe somewhere in Africa, once we get to that last place, then the end will come. And if you all would get off your butts and go preach the gospel, Jesus could come back, but you're so lazy, and that's why we're still here, and all this stuff. Guess what? That's taking one verse and totally misunderstanding it and abusing people and fighting with each other over things that we don't understand because we haven't used the whole book. You're in Acts chapter 1. I just quoted it. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and turn over to chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to show you, if you let the Scriptures speak and the book of Revelation bring conclusion, I guess, I'm not sure that's the best word, but clarity, that's a better word. If we let the book of Revelation bring clarity, we'll all of a sudden start to see how this whole Bible starts to make a ton of sense. In Acts chapter 1, we know in verse 8, he said, you can be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and so on. Look at chapter 2, look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from where? Every nation under heaven. Let me ask you a question. Did the gospel start there in Jerusalem and the disciples eventually will take it to the whole world? Or had God already brought believing Jews from every nation on the earth there into Jerusalem to hear the gospel as well? The answer is yes. Let me tell you something that happened this past week in Panama. I've been on basketball mission trips to Panama four different times. This was my fourth one this past, past week, and it was awesome. Because in all the years I've had the privilege of playing basketball in Australia, Guatemala, El Salvador, I mean all over... This was the first time I've had a basketball mission trip that was just my family. My brother Jeff and my brother John and AJ played with us. And my brother John has four boys that are older and they play basketball. And we actually had a Johnson's basketball mission team. It's something we've been dreaming about for years. It was awesome. Undefeated. Didn't lose a game. But I had the chance of preaching in, in there and watched my son preach as well in Panama City. It was awesome. But because I've been there a bunch of times, there's this one guy that I played basketball with against the, uh, at this park. And he's Chinese. And I, I knew there was something about him that I felt God was at work in his life, and I've been praying that he would come to know the Lord. But the opportunity to share with him was never really good. You know, you got to try not to force it, but let the Lord show you when and how. 
And we get invited to this Chinese church to come play basketball against their youth group and then play a game against them. And then I was going to preach to the youth group after that. And we get there. And guess who their youth pastor is? The guy that I have for the last three years saying, man, I want to share the gospel with him. I think God's working on his life. I want him to get saved. He's been saved for years. And he's a strong Christian in the Chinese church. And God just said, Jim, chill out. (laughs) Years ago, when I was on another basketball mission trip, we played in a, a little village in Guatemala called San Pedro, Guatemala. To get to this village, the only way you can get there is the three-hour bus ride through the mountains or a one-hour boat trip to this little village. We, the bus driver put us on the boat, and then he drove the bus by himself. And we got to this little village, and we played against their team, and I got a chance to preach to all the people in that village. And then we were done. We were heading back to where we were going to stay that night, and as we were packing up our van to leave, I remember thinking to myself, I'm probably the first white American that's ever preached the gospel in this little village. I was feeling kind of proud. But as we get in our 15-passenger van to drive back to Guatemala City to fly back to the U.S., another 15-passenger van pulls in. And off of this van gets a whole bunch of tall white Americans. And we got off our bus and said, who are you? They said, oh, we're a basketball mission team from a Methodist college in New York. We're here to play against their team and share the gospel with them. And God pretty much just said to me, Jim, get on the bus. You're not the only white American that preached there this week. (laughs) Let me show you a couple other scriptures real quick, and then how Revelation will bring it to conclusion. Go to Romans chapter 10. We love to quote Romans 10. Well, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? You ever heard someone say that? Well, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? Go to Romans chapter 10, starting verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth. And their words to the ends of the world. See the problem with just taking a verse here and a verse there and building your theology and not using the whole of Scripture is you can actually twist the Scripture, abuse people. If you would actually let the whole Scripture speak, you'll realize that what Paul's saying here is that you look, he's quoting from the Old Testament and the Old Testament and the Old Testament. All along he's been saying everything that I've been saying to you, the Old Testament's already been saying it. How would anybody ever be expected to believe something unless they'd already been told? You've already been told. Have they not heard his word has gone where? Maybe you need another scripture to help you out. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Some of you are saying, I sure wish he had screens, so he'd just stick with his screens. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 23. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. What? Been preached already. But didn't Paul say, I don't want to go where someone else has laid a foundation? Yeah. Let's just assume that the gospel, has the gospel been preached in Palm Bay? Does the gospel still need to be preached in Palm Bay? 
Why? Because there are people being born all the time and the need for the gospel to be still shared is there. But folks, don't think for a second that the gospel hasn't made it to the whole world yet. That is a hugely small view of God. Are you telling me that the end's going to come once we finally get the gospel to that last bush? And for all those thousands of years prior to that, they never heard? Is that who God is? Romans 1 said he's already revealed himself through creation. Everyone's without excuse. Romans 2, Paul says, even if they haven't heard his word, he's written his law in their hearts. Their conscience is convicting. And that God will judge all men's secrets through my gospel, through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares, Paul said. Did you catch that? So what does it mean then when Jesus said in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come? Well, if you knew the book of Revelation, which, by the way, the disciples didn't understand at that time because it hadn't been written yet. Go to Revelation 22, verse 10 real quick, and then Revelation 14, 6 and 7, and I'll let you go sometime today. (laughs) Revelation 22, look at verse 10. And he, Jesus, said to me, John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Daniel was told, seal up the words, it's not going to be revealed till the time of the end. John was told in 95 AD, it's time to open it up. It's time to open it up. Go back to Revelation chapter 14, look at verses 6 and 7. You'll see when we get there in our study that at the very end of the tribulation period, the very end of that seven-year period still left for the nation of Israel, after the rapture of the church, there's going to be an angel And this angel is going to fly in midair. Well, let me just read it to you. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. When Jesus said, and the gospel be proclaimed to the whole earth, and then the end will come, he's referencing this angel that is going to preach the gospel to the whole world all at the same time at the very end of the tribulation. And then the end will come. You see how Revelation makes it make more sense now? Folks, this commercial is this. If there's any way you can come, we're going to take the time to take a look at what's going to take place after the rapture of the church. You say, Jim, what, do you, what makes you think? Well, we'll deal with that. I'll get into that in more detail. But let me just show you real quickly from Matthew 24 how we're not going to be here. Because when Jesus talked about all these things that are going to happen at the end, he says, pray that when the Antichrist steps into the temple, and by the way, and he quotes from Daniel. You've got to know the Old Testament to be able to understand what's to come. He goes from Daniel 9 and Daniel 11. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, get out of Jerusalem. If you're on the roof of your house, don't even go inside to get a coat. Get out. If you're in the area, don't even head back to the city first. When you see the Antichrist step into the wing of the temple, run for your lives. The Bible actually says in the Old Testament prophecies that at that time, two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed. One-third is going to be spared in the wilderness where God protects them, and he's actually going to keep them safe from the enemy's attack and all this stuff. But listen, he says, don't, don't even stick around. Run to the mountains. He said, but pray that your flight doesn't happen in winter. By the way, would he say that to the church? Could he say that to the church? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but as hot as it is here, it's snowing on the other side of the earth. Did you know that? I didn't. I went on a basketball mission trip to Australia in July. 
got off the plane and was freezing. Thinking it's cold in Australia, they go, this is our winter. It actually snowed on us while we were down there. It's winter somewhere. Does Jesus want the church to pray against each other? Oh, Lord, may it not be winter here when you come back. May it not be winter here so that it'll be winter there. (laughs) Don't laugh. You do it when hurricanes are coming. (laughs) Oh, God, just send it to Virginia. (laughs) He also said, pray that your flight wouldn't happen on a what? A Sabbath. Would he say that to the church? Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 says, Don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath. Those are a shadow of what was to come. The reality has been found in Christ. Oh, but if you let the whole of Scripture speak, you would know that after the rapture of the church is going to be a one last seven year period for the nation of Israel. The prophecy of the 77s in Daniel is going to be finally fulfilled. That last seven. And the nation of Israel, they're being gathered back into their land now. And they're going to rebuild the temple system. And there's going to be a temple and there's going to be sacrificial system. But at the midway point, the Antichrist is going to reveal who he really is. And that's going to be bad for them until Jesus comes back. So what, what is it, why are you telling us all this then, Jim, if we're not going to be here? Um, let me put it to you about as clearly as I can. Why did he tell John when John was going to die 2,000 years before this would all happen? Why did he tell John to write down the book of Revelation? Why did he tell Daniel to write down his prophecies when Daniel was told it's not going to happen in your lifetime? Why did he tell the Old Testament prophets to write about the promised Messiah when they weren't going to experience it? Why? Tell others. Let me just close with this. If you don't know why he came the first time, you won't be ready for when he comes the second time. I'm going to say it to you again. This is how we're going to close today. If you don't know why Jesus came the first time, you won't be ready for when he comes the second time. So this morning, as we bring this to a close, and hopefully the commercial's accomplished its purpose and you're getting excited about the Revelation study and you'll come back, sign up, get ready to go. It's going to be awesome. But for this morning... Do you know why he came the first time? Have you responded to it in faith? So that whenever he does this, however he does this in his second coming, you know that you're okay. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.